Welcome, caller. You're on the line with The Calls Are Coming From Inside, the podcast, an exploration of the human side of horror. Each week, we call a unique guest and ask them about one horror movie that left its mark on them. Together, we do a deep dive into our guest's personal connection to find out what horror feels like. I'm Kevin Sparrow, and this week we'll be calling playwright Hannah E. Epstein to talk about the porno-based horror comedy One-Eyed Monster. And then, we'll double penetrate this small subgenre with the 2019 horror comedy, Deep Murder. I need all sorts of good stuff coming up, coming out of these word holes that we got on <laughs> our faces. <laughs> I'm doing my best here to, to just make it all make sense, right? Great. So welcome to... The calls are coming from inside the podcast, and my caller today is Hannah E.E. Epstein, playwright. Aloha. Storyteller, Buffy lover. What other kind of names, titles can we give you? Cat lover. Cat paparazzi, maybe, would be a better one. (laughs) Cat paparazzo. Yes. Yeah, that's true. You do have a lot of cat pictures. Spread. And yeah. not just not just the cats that you live with, cats uh, out in the field, <laughs> cats, cats that like you're cat lizards. sitting, yeah, cats that sit on me, like this the world's cat aunt. Great, and you have uh, well a special connection to horror. I'm really excited because your play, the Kasha of Kaimuki, is coming up this October. The Kasha of Kaimuki is a um, horror play that's based off of the most famous haunted house in Hawaii on Oahu. And it's part of um, Kumukuhua Theater's 51st season. It'll be the second show. And it'll run virtually from October 28th through November 14th, 2021. Awesome. Yeah, so excited. Catch that. Uh, you don't have to be in Hawaii to see it either, right? Right. Yeah, you can be anywhere in the world. It um, the show times are in Hawaii time, so when you check out the website kumukuhuatheater.org or call the box office, um, they'll give you the Hawaii time. So you'll just have to do the math. Do the math. I, we can't do. It. We're not a math podcast. We're not going to do it for you. Um, but it should be easy enough to figure out. Just add yeah. some numbers. And figure out where you live. What drew you to write about horror then? I, I would guess you have an affinity for the horror genre, uh, a love for it. Yeah, well, being born and raised in Hawaii, you hear horror stories growing up, just like as a child. Um, there's a series of books called Chicken Skin Stories, and it's by Glenn Grant. And it's um chicken skin tales to tell in the dark type of thing. So what we call goosebumps chicken skin there. And um, the Kasha of Kaimukui, I believe, is a story in one of the books. And that's where I first got introduced to horror was as a kid and then got into the fear street as a teen mm. and started, like, really watching with Scream. Scream. I'm, I, I'm a 90s kid, so. Yeah. So then on that journey, 
uh, where has it left you, I guess, as a, as an adult? Where, how do you feel about horror now coming out of that kind of the teen scream syndrome, as we will call it for us 90s kids? Yeah, I do love horror. I can only watch it during the day if I'm by myself. If I'm with other folks, I can watch horror at night just fine. But alone, I do have to watch it during the day. Well, then I will ask you the question again, and you let me know. What is the most challenging horror movie you've ever seen? I believe it's One-Eyed Monster, starring Amber Benson and other people. So really, star, I watched Would you give her a starring <laughs> credit in this? Like, yeah, she's first billed. Um... But she's definitely, I would say, a later edition. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a later edition. But um, the reason why I watched the film to begin with was because I'm a huge Buffy fan. And so mm-hmm. anything that a lot of the main Buffy cast is in, I'll like take a look at the IMDb and be like, what's interesting? What should I be watching? Yeah. And so that's why I chose to watch that. Like, I think it was, I saw it in 2009. It came out in 2008. Um, but I saw it like the beginning of streaming was kind of happening. And so I watched it streaming and I yeah. thought it was fantastic. And I'm a fan of like old school porn, like in erotica. I am definitely into that genre as mm-hmm. a writer and a consumer. So I'm like a classic Ron Jeremy and um, oh, what's her name? Victoria Hart, I think. Yeah, Veronica Hart. Veronica. Yeah. Yeah. And also Carmen Hart. We got a Hart uh, double feature of of <laughs> porn actors throughout yeah. this movie. So, well, tell us a little bit more about that then. So, Erotica, sure. what do you like to write about in that? I know that you have some interesting erotica yeah. fictions out there. <laughs> yeah, I started reading, like, lesbian erotica when I was a teen to kind of, like, open my brain into, like, what is lesbian sex? And this was pre-internet times, so, like, I couldn't just Google something, and my therapist at the time was like, oh, check out these erotica, like, short stories, and it might be something you find interesting. So I started writing erotica um, quickly after I turned 20-ish, and um, I've written, like, girl girls with girls, I've written some Buffy fan fiction, I've written dinosaur porn where like humans and dinosaurs have sex or like dinosaurs and dinosaurs have sex, just like weird monster type stuff. Or Cadillacs and dinosaurs have sex. Right. Or if you haven't done that yet, um, I would love to see like a anthropomorphized Cadillac getting into a romantic situation with a dinosaur. Well, I mean, it's top comes down, right? Don't Cadillacs, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, it's top comes down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then um, I worked at uh, Cupid's Treasures uh, adult video slash toy store um, for about four years, and so mm-hmm. I've I got really educated in the world of porn, and kind of found myself more so gravitating to that storyline aspect. And um, Ron Jeremy kind of talks about this a little in the film. And he's basically like, whatever happened to this storyline porn stuff? Now it's all this, like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, we want some substance. Like, even as actors, they want substance. Right. I mean, it's hard to probably 
contextualize what you're doing, right? Even in a porn scenario, you're still presenting a performance. You still want it to be based on something that you can connect with, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Having not done that myself. um, Right, me neither. But yeah, even even in the boudoir, like it can be difficult. Maybe this is just, maybe this is oversharing on my part, but just like the idea of, uh, you know, sex as performative, right? That, that we have to perform well is Mm -hmm. always uh, a conversation, right? That I think a lot of people, you know, when they're very young or twenties, early twenties, you're starting to figure out what your sexuality is, right? Not in terms of orientation, but just like, what do I like? Um, it can be challenging to compare yourself to the images, right? And that's always a a fear or a danger people think of with porn. I don't know. I I try to look at the other side, right? Like, I think uh, rather than being afraid of it, people should probably be taught more about it, right? And have more literacy on porn because it can be useful. It can be helpful to know that it's not weird (laughs) or gross to have sex. Yeah, it can be very healthy to know that it's not weird or gross. Right. But yeah, also to know that porn is not representative of how most sex is. Uh, It is edited. It's shot very differently from what you're going to experience. So, you know, just a a side note for all of the... All of the young folks listening who don't know what porn is. But yeah, this is a porno adult film based horror is a a pretty underrepresented genre, I would say. You know, I did appreciate seeing that here. And I appreciated you letting me know this is a movie I had never heard of at all. Oh, wow. It's not even something that I was like, oh, I think I might have heard about that or known something about it It was totally off my radar until I asked you about the movie. So I, yeah, I definitely think it's something that's interestingly under seen or, you know, kind of buried, right. It's just out there. Can you uh, summarize the movie just a bit for us? What is this? What happens in one eyed monster? Sure. It's basically about a group of filmmakers and actors who go to a cabin to shoot a porn and an alien takes over Ron Jeremy's penis and starts killing. Like, I think that's a general. Oh, yeah, for sure. And important to note that the penis is detached. The penis comes off of Ron Jeremy's body and then does its uh, killing. Yeah, and the, um, the way that the filmmakers did the shots of the point of view of the penis... I thought was fantastic. It reminds me of a lot of new Instagram filters or <laughs> like snap Snapchat filters or whatever. Yeah, maybe we can yeah. re uh, make one of those. I just want to put out the penis penis cam filter on Snapchat. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Throughout this movie, we're seeing an adult film crew kind of work their way through navigating around this horrible penis that's bent on destroying the world although i guess in the in the context of the film because it's an alien its goal is to impregnate people uh who can be impregnated and kill anyone who you know is in the way correct 
Yeah. Yeah, and um, for some reason, as you figure out, is this a non-spoiler podcast, or can we no, spoil? No, Cool, cool, cool. So, like, the way that I kind of interpreted it as well is that it goes for military bases, specifically. Like, milit- military has something to do with where this alien comes to. Mm-hmm. And this is not the first time this alien has been on Earth. Right, because we see kind of near the near the end of the film, or like the, the second act, uh, when Charles Napier gets there, who I think is doing a fantastic job. He is giving uh, more than this movie needs, I think, in his <laughs> performance. But he has kind of the Quint from Jaws monologue about seeing the, the uh, detached penis attack his, his squadron in Vietnam. And that kind of narrative comes through a parody of that standard trope in the movies of these like uh, yeah. of a veteran reliving their experience, right? Um, but yes, it's very strange. It's very funny, right? Yeah, it's such a good monologue. I was thinking about how when people choose their monologues when they audition for stuff, like I wonder if there's someone who's ever chosen this monologue as something to audition with, because it does have a wide range of comedic sadness, drama, tragedy. And so it could, it could be one of those monologues for people if they were willing to go there. Uh, Definitely. I'll keep it in my stockpile from now on. (laughs) Uh, We'll work through it. It's a long one. So we'll need to do some editing, but that's, that's totally fine. This movie, I think it's interesting because it's a comedy horror film, uh, comedy, I think first and foremost, right? Yes. But it's also, how do I want to put this? You know, I try not to be too judgmental about the movie. (laughs) the movies as they come in so I'm trying to find things that are like really appealing to me um Mm -hmm. I guess going into it given the subject matter and given the storyline I thought it would be a much kind of grosser film I guess is how I want to put that do you think that how relatively tame it is is that a benefit of the movie Yeah, I think it's a benefit for many reasons. I think production-wise, they probably didn't have the budget to do something a little more graphic or intense. Um, But as an audience perspective, like, I don't really want to see everything all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, I want more of that suspense feel of when's it going to attack, how's it going to attack. And even with um, how they were filming the porn stuff within the movie, it was very much like if you were to watch a storyline porn and just cut out any of the actual penetration shots, it'd be like an hour and a half instead of three hours, and you'd get a full story. So I kind of feel like they almost took that approach to it of let's take this NC-17 movie and make it a rated R movie. Yeah, it's, it is it is interesting. I think I appreciate the reserve, right, of the, of the mm-hmm. porn scenes, right, and not expecting porn actors to come in 
um, and be naked and be doing right this really right. lascivious stuff because you hired them as actors in a traditional movie, not a porn movie. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do appreciate kind of that part of it, but I don't know. I do miss some of the, the gorier elements. Mm-hmm. And I know that comes down to maybe budget and things like that. I'm like, I want a little bit more gore, right. a little bit more clarity of what's happening in these, <laughs> some of these kills. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. we see plenty of this autonomous penis choking people. Uh, right slaying but then is that way. all it can do right like that's kind of what it feels like it's like it's power kill move is either the I'm gonna choke you or I'm gonna fuck you until there's a hole in your head or you just are dead or h- however that is and so it seems like they the, the penis itself only has two ways of killing yeah and for some reason and which I have not yet figured out is there's a point where the penis goes across someone's leg and cuts him. And then there's a kill that the penis cuts this dude in half. And I'm like, how is the penis so sharp? Yeah. How did it, like, I know it's hard, but how's it sharp? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Um, Maybe it's got some teeth or something. It it doesn't really explore, you know, what that transformation is once it gets, um, once it gets imbued with the alien power, right? So, right. Potentially, yeah. it, ha- it has teeth. It has a little something uh, on the inside. Right, and that's the only question I kind of like left the movie having. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I. Any other question I had kind of brought up in the movie was answered. It's just that one thing of like, how did it cut somebody? Yeah, it was it was a very strange moment. Yeah, I was like, yeah, how does how does that work? Well, also the other moment that I was like, I don't think that's how it works. Is after it um, penetrates one of the porn actors in the car, like he's trying to drive away, and then like has his hand on the like drive shaft which is really the penis uh after it fucks him to death it gets out of the tailpipe somehow and like how did it squiggle out of that tailpipe so quickly um yeah and how did it even get into the tailpipe through like how did it even get into the engine i'm assuming a tailpipe's connected to the engine somehow and how did it even get into the engine tailpipes connected to the engine the mm-hmm. engine's connected to the spark plug spark plugs connected to the battery i don't know anything about cars um, me neither <laughs> no i i leave that to a mechanic yeah, someone's going to email you and, like, write in and be like, hey, so this is actually how this can happen. Yeah, I don't have a car. You don't need to. You can. Feel free. <laughs> um, so I felt a little bit like I can accept those gaps in logic, though, too, just because it feels like a very 50s-style B-movie. That was, like, the strongest yeah. vibe I got from it was, like, it came from another planet, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like that 50 kind right. of paranoia, 
alien film. Oh, yeah. There's like a snowstorm coming, so no one's going to be able to come up to this mountain for a few days. And there's only one neighbor who lives on the other side of the mountain. Yeah. Like, it's very much that, like, all he, what what was it? Like, from mankind or from all mankind kind of feeling. Yeah, so it does a, a pretty good job, I guess, of updating that and setting it into the adult film world instead of usually those 50s movies are in like a doctor's office right or a laboratory or a thing like that where they're kind of trying to figure out and discover yeah it doesn't feel very 2008 either because in the film the director slash writer guy is the only one who like mentions he has a cell phone Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if it's like a car phone in his fancy porsche type of thing because no one else seems to have any other type of heavy technology the sound guy does have a laptop but that seems to kind of be the only technology thing within this world well but that's a major piece of technology can we talk about that uh that what does he call it the neuro tactile simulator Right, which is basically a pussy pocket that has been fashioned inside of some sort of mechanical thing so it can move, like, like with the press of a button. Um, Kind of like a new, updated battery vibrator, but, like, you don't even need batteries. You just plug it into the wall. Or USB. It's USB connected. Um, It connects to a database of different celebrity orifices which yeah, so i'm really not sure how he got that to be data. entered <laughs> right right because he's talking about like how he has 200 celebrities in there and how the whole thing is fashioned with like what type of liquid like i i'm not sure how to explain this like how the whatever liquid like that particular celebrity would make depending on the orifice yeah yeah like you can have sex with like specifically paris hilton's mouth or (laughs) or whoever's butthole you want right like i don't really understand because the the sound guy who's the person who's created this whole system he's a whole bizarre thing um right I feel like his um, direction, like the direction the director gave him to play this character was like, think of that guy from Dazed and Confused, not the one who wants to dance, but the best friend, because he very much reminds me in his acting style of like playing that type of thing up. And throughout this movie, I find that a lot of it is very much like that, like channel this type of actor in this type of role mm-hmm. um, because he goes like super dorky with this thing and has the language about how this type of thing really works. Because I would just refer to it as a doohickey yeah. because I don't know what, like how this machine operates. Yeah, I mean, how else would you describe it, right? It's a doohickey. <laughs> right. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, I think that's good, right, technology translation, right? Dumb it down. So yeah. People understand. It's a doohickey. I don't need to, you know, use its full name. But 
yeah, I guess speaking of the performances, so, well, first, let's get into what the hell is Amber Benson doing here? Um, oh, my gosh. I, you know, I love her, but I just feel like she's in such an awkward role and position in this film, which I'm guessing is something where they had the movie, you know, partially funded, and they're like, we need more of a name in this. And then we're able to approach her and you can tell in the movie that it's something where she was only there for maybe a couple days because most of the time she is not in a scene or like not in a shot with another person. Like all the shots are just of her. Yeah. Yeah. Or like her and one other person who's like passed out or or whatever. And I think part of that also, like, it is weird because it feels almost like first season Tara in Buffy, Mm -hmm. kind of like this meek, quiet, dorky person who has, for some reason, an obsession in this movie with Ron Jeremy. Yeah. And I was trying to guess about it. And I was like, oh, maybe she's his daughter. Or maybe, like, there's some other type of connection going on, and that was never answered either in the film. Yeah. But it's just, like, I I wonder if it was just, like, oh, just be as obsessed as you can be with this guy. Yeah. I think there could have been more. Much, much more there. (laughs) Um, But, right, that's... Seems like that was not what the... (laughs) The movie was trying to go for. It's not trying to serve us the a new Amber Benson experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very classic Amber Benson. Um, at least in the beginning before she has sex with this monster. And I and I say have sex because the monster didn't kill her. Mm-hmm. And something had happened, and it seemed consensual in her feeling of the film. I mean, she was attracted to the penis. She has care for it. She wants to make sure that it's, you know, gets named as not called an it, right? It has a name. Uh, Ron. And so (laughs) it's it's really... uh, it's a very weird character, and it, it, I'm not sure how much of it was. Was this character in the original script, or did they kind of change things around just to be able to accommodate, you know, her and whatever filming schedule she could offer? Right, and then how many people do you need there on crew yeah. for a porn shoot, right? And Because they have, like, their sound... I guess sound guy slash lighting guy, their camera guy. And like both of these two side guys are very much like the guys who do it all. Yeah. Like we do the lighting and the camera and the sound and all of the things. And then your director guy. And so I feel like part of the throw in was like, oh, we should add another female perhaps who isn't a porn star. Right. And have that type of representation in this film. Well, and we need someone who is going to get impregnated by this thing, right? Right. But then also outside of Amber Benson, I think the next, the real main character is Jonah in this. And I think. <laughs> He, I think he's doing a great job. 
Um, he takes it seriously, which is, you know, can be the detriment. I think it works in this one because the rest of the situation is so off the wall and bizarre um, that you need at least one grounded character to kind of pivot things around, right? Yeah, and for us as audience to connect with in this world, he's the guy that, like, something bad happens and he's just there to fix it and take care of the thing. Right. And doesn't think about the outside world. It's just like, oh, we need to fix this right now. Mm -hmm. Someone's hurt. Fix them. Yeah, so I think it's interesting to have these characters that are technicians, right, that know how to kind of work with the porn atmosphere they know what they're in for um and then they have to put up with this awful director taking the lead right right? and so yeah i guess the irony there right there's a little bit of a commentary about the role of the crew and the director in that moment right where the the technicians are the much more capable and really the leaders, right? The people who will take on a challenge uh, where the director is trying to be self-preserving. Yeah. And he ultimately gets split in half uh, (laughs) near the end. Yeah. Which was very like, um, was it Jason? One of the Jason movies that like, there was a couple having sex in a tent and, like, I think it was Jason that comes in and just stabs the girl and splits her in yeah, half. Yeah, it's a gnarly moment in Jason Goes to Hell. The yeah, ninth so, Jason like, with... film. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was It was very many. specifically the <laughs> ninth one. probably seen them all. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of what this film does is kind of take those other films and plays with them in some other way. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of borrows from a few different genres in that, right? We have that kind of cabin in the woods, camp slasher thing, but set in the yeah. snow. We have a creature feature, right? Right. Um, and especially like predominantly white cast, one black guy, and the idea that like I went in thinking, oh, the black guy's going to get killed first because it's predominantly white cast. Mm-hmm. And I like how they switch that and kind of flipped a lot of these things that we expect from horror movies at least like that have the feeling of the time that it it feels in yeah 2008 was a weird time uh i don't know i feel like i mean that was a time where i was watching a lot more film i think in a in a more analytical way i you know i was just fresh out of Mm -hmm. film school at the time of this movie's right. release um, and really thinking about, you know, how does horror fit into this film tradition that I'm studying? Something that's right. really interesting to me, uh, but doesn't seem to be regarded right in the same way as a non-genre film is, right? So the genre film is a really yeah. important thing in, in that world of scrolling back is important in my my world anyway um but i think just this kind of low entertainment or low culture as we might call it can be disregarded Mm -hmm. and not given 
as much critical analysis, which is partially why I'm really happy to talk about this movie. Uh, Regardless of my personal feeling on it, it still is (laughs) important to evaluate, right? Even this kind of film um, as something that is culturally relevant, right? There must have been some reason that the people who wanted to make this film made it at the time they did. And just fun facts about the maker of this film. So the director, Adam Fields, was also is more primarily a composer. um, And he is, his biggest composing credits are for the classic teen TV series, Dawson's Creek. Wow. But he also composed music for specifically the Buffy episode from season two, Some Assembly Required. Oh, interesting. Which, if our close listeners know, uh, is very similar in plot to the movie Frankenhooker, which we recently covered. (laughs) Wow. So many connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of makes sense then. Like, I'm sure at that point, being in the joss whedon universe it was kind of like an easy way to be like oh let's cast amber benson for this yeah probably a connection of some kind because i've noticed that within tv shows yeah i didn't do any research on this i just noticed this past watch that there were three main writers Mm -hmm. which all had the same last name so i'm like oh they must have all been siblings or something say yes Maybe. I don't know. I didn't find anything kind of more about them. Maybe I could, I should have looked up the biographies. I'll cut it out if I discover something different, but you know, they could also be like (laughs) a married gay throuple who all have the same last name. Who knows? You never know. (laughs) You know, all sorts of things could be, could be true. Right. Uh, Especially with a film like this. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it it does not feel like a particularly queer film, right? I mean, there is the penis is pretty indiscriminate about who it will uh, obliterate. Um, yeah, yeah. So I maybe in that sense, right there, there is kind of a a queerness to that, right? It's a pansexual penis that kind of doesn't really care who it gets into. True. <laughs> But outside of that, I don't know that it's really pulling those levers very distinctly. And that's fine. Uh, I don't need it. Right. But it's also interesting for porn, though, because like the you would assume they would have figured to do a girl on girl scene Mm. or like a guy on guy scene at some point. But it's not even brought up. And so queerness isn't a factor in it it seems because it's just never talked about in any way. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, I think that's totally fine. Right. Like straight people need to sort out their hangups about (laughs) sex and sexuality just as much as queer people do. So, you know, maybe as a good thing about this movie, it can help straight people process their relationship to their, own sexuality and their fears of uh, disembodied phalluses floating yes. around. Uh, always a danger <laughs> in this day and age. Mm-hmm. 
But the other kind of part of it, this interesting thing that I did want to touch on just because I think it's important since Ron Jeremy is such a (laughs) presence in the film and it is about his penis. Part of what makes it easier to watch, obviously, is like it's, you know, 13 years old at this point, right? We have a little bit of distance historically, but just that, just to note that Ron Jeremy has more recently gone through a a number of sexual assault allegations um, that have kind of come out in the last five years, a number of them throughout 2020. So it is interesting going back to this work and trying to reconcile that issue of like, oh, this person is not, not good. Well, and it's interesting too, because he's like such a big deal in 70s, 1970s, 1980s porn. Mm -hmm. And so that, like, I'm not surprised. I did not know about the allegations, but I'm absolutely not surprised because he comes from this type of world in time. Not to excuse him, more so for me to kind of wrap my brain around like, oh, this all makes sense. Yeah, right. He's from an era before we started having conversations, right, that were more about taking people to task for for crossing boundaries, for uh, sexual assaults and the whisper networks that would form around them. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a great thing that more people are being, you know, exposed or being named. Um, Oh, absolutely. Especially, like, he's one of the top named porn stars in history. Yeah. So it's, I think it's very important that he's being called out and named in this because then maybe other folks who are in his type of position understand that they're not safe. Mm -hmm from their actions that other people will call them out if they've done something messed up. Yeah. But or many messed up things. Yeah. But I guess for at least in terms of watching this movie, um it makes for an interesting experience because, you know, at least he dies and and the fear of the movie is about his penis specifically. So it's like at a meta level, it's following the trajectory rather than kind of having to watch him be like a hero or having to watch him and try to like empathize with him, I suppose. Right. If he right. was the hero or protagonist of this movie, I think I'd have a much more challenging time. But because that's not the case, yeah. I can still kind of let go and be like, yes, this movie is what it is. It's from the time when it is right. like you said with that lack of technology it does make it feel so much older and it's like why does yeah, this movie in 2008 yeah. feel like it's real old right and then like amber benson had been off of buffy for like six years at that mm-hmm. point when she did this film and i'm like oh she visually doesn't look any different to me than when i'm watching season six of Buffy. yeah or whatever it is. And so I think, too, like, with Ron Jeremy not being the protagonist, but this dismembered member being the actual protagonist, like, does give it that weight for people who do know 
like what's going on with Ron Jeremy now. Mm-hmm. And so it's that, yeah, yeah. I, I've never thought about that. And I think it's great that he isn't more than a tool in this film. Literally, literally <laughs> a tool. Yes. So I think some of the other moments of this film that really stick with me are, I mean, you know, I want more from our, our central couple, right? The cute little newbie right. porn stars who are, you know, falling in love. And then later Amber Benson finds them in uh, what I would call, I don't know, a cum cocoon, uh, a jizzalus. Yeah, I was going to say cum cocoon, a cum web. Mm-hmm. A jizzless is good. I like that one. I don't know. Something along those lines. But there, I would really have loved just like an aliens moment in there where one of them is alive and like some type of creature comes out. Something interesting there. Because we just kind of get a glance at it. We get what the situation is. And I'm like, I want something just a little bit ookier here, right? Yeah, and then also, like, why did it take that long for anyone to check in on <laughs> Yeah, <them>? right. Because <laughs> that's where she's just going to the... Yeah, yeah, she's just going to the restroom at that point, and I, there's only five of them still alive or something like that, so, like, you check on the people who are still alive, mm-hmm. so you think. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely something, like... That doesn't totally gel, I think, with the rest of the story because it's paced weird. Um, But I do like the moment, so I just wanted more from it, you know? Yeah. One moment I did really, I love, is early on in the film where it passes the Bechtel test in the most interesting way possible. So we have our two (laughs) younger... Uh, female adult film stars talking about how they prepare for scenes. So we have two named characters talking about something other than men specifically, right? They're talking about their jobs. And the one girl talks about that she, you know, puts lidocaine on her nether region so that the stubble doesn't hurt when men are eating her out. Um, Mm -hmm which I think is hilarious. And the other girl talks about how she has to hit herself in the head with a block of wood five times before she does, does any uh, ass licking in her seats. And like specifically like enough time. So she doesn't get a concussion, but she does lose sense of smell. Right. So and like, there is a sciencey thing to what she said about how that works with your brain. Yeah. Uh, I would not take that as science fact. Please do not <laughs> no. hit this. Uh, if you need right. Vapor rub that could work. Right. Get a nose guard. If, that's something you worry about yeah. when you are doing analingus. Yeah, nose plugs, nose guards. All sorts of things can be useful, but I think it's just a funny a funny moment, right? It's really the only time that we have women interacting in this film, so it just barely crosses that yeah. that Bechdel threshold, which I don't necessarily hold, you know, every movie to that standard. 
But it's always good to note when watching things of like, do two women actually interact with each other who are named fully realized characters or do they not? And what are they talking about? They're talking about amazing things. Yes. And speaking of amazing, I also really like Veronica Hart's trajectory in this. Like, I think she has the most fully realized arc like she actually has a character arc that no one else in this movie has because she starts off you know she's a bit of an older woman and she's coming into this movie and the situation just because I guess Ron invited her along so she wasn't even cast in this movie and she's worried that she's being put out to pasture as she calls it um, so I think that very real fear is interesting. Yeah, yeah, and that comes full circle along with like her Kegel exercises. And so there there are a few things in this film where I'm like, oh, how is this mechanical like pussy pocket gonna come into play? Like she gets this part by having sex with the director, mm-hmm. but doing something no other person has done with him. Yeah. So she he has to give her the part. And so these things do come back within the film that I'm like, oh, I'm glad that did come full circle because what would have been the point of these other scenes if they didn't? Yeah. Like, they have to be there for a reason. Yeah, no, her Kegel exercises uh, save the day, presumably. Or at least yeah. as far as we know at that point in the movie. Um, right. Where she holds Ron, Jeremy's dismembered member, inside her until they both explode. And I feel like she's the only fully realized character. And she's knocked out for a third of the movie. Right. It's a very, it's a strange film. I mean, I know character development is not its goal. So I'm not like going to take it to task about not doing all that. But I just, it's such a strange thing um i do love her line where she's inviting the penis to kind of take into her at the culminating battle so to speak uh get it and come it's amazing pun (laughs) it's so stupid i love it it's so good well and there's like a a few random like jokes thrown in there like oh the penis must have had a headache because it was like banging on the door for so long and like these random things that i'm like oh yeah they're punny yeah. these writers are very punny right which we love right that's you know that's in our wheelhouse as writers yeah. we always appreciate a good pun very so yeah true. i did think of that as i was watching because even though i hadn't heard of it before while watching it, I was like, this feels like a very Hana movie. I <laughs> am not surprised. Right. Speaking of the Kegel thing, did you stick around in the credits? There is an amazing song about Kegels that plays. No, I Oh, didn't, my gosh. But I Go will. back and listen to the Do the Kegel song. You're. Excellent. I, whoever in your life will thank you. I'll thank you if you're listening to it. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, it's probably one of the funnier parts, I I think, of, of all. But getting back to the question as we wrap up, so I think, obviously, listeners can piece together some of what might be challenging about this film, right? Like the subject matter, uh, watching someone who 
has, you know, sexual abuse allegations against them, right? Like, what is that, that challenge of that experience, like going back to media that has, you know, maybe been tarnished in some way and beyond, right? There, there's just quite a few different things that could be, but why, why did you pick it as a challenge for you? I feel like the lack of queerness within it was what the challenge mm. was for me. Because I feel like with a lot of horror, horror is a very open genre to aspects of queerness. And I think the fact that like it wasn't mentioned or talked about, especially in its porn subgenre, that just surprised me in a lot of ways. And yeah, and the penis like having being very omnisexual, very pansexual about its choosing of people. Like it doesn't matter. Oh, you know what? Not even people, living beings, mm. because there is a rat at some point that you do see that's obviously been fucked to death. Yeah. So like, yeah, not just people. Animals. R.I.P. Half a rat. The challenge with that representation is I mean, it's always going to exist, right? I don't and if that's not the story you're telling, right? You're not telling an LGBT story. That's totally within your right, I would say, as a filmmaker. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I think when you're, yeah. when you are an LGBT person and you do watch something or you appreciate something, you also are questioning, well, why don't I connect with it? Or like what, you know, kind of a what's in it for me, right? What right. What can I take away if this doesn't really reflect my life or my understanding of how people are in the world right yeah yeah and specifically with the subgenre of porn because it's like a horror porn sci-fi mm. type of thing and so like yeah the idea of like every porn i've noticed does have some sort of queerness and i i suppose i'm thinking of longer form like feature porn as opposed to like googling something or just finding something on the right. internet right cuz you're getting around like it that the, way this storyline you're not seeing right. the creator's yeah. vision through you need to watch right this uncut pornography um in both senses of the words right uh. and also i i think it's not as challenging for me of a film as other people because i have been so involved in like what it is to have healthy sex to like find myself working at a adult store for four plus years and like having those experiences so like i i think part of the question to me was not necessarily how is this challenging me but how does this challenge your audience on the podcast how does this challenge the world mm. in a lot of ways and then knowing that now internationally it does better than America, it like makes more sense to me because internationally, like this type of subject is a little more accepting in different areas. Yeah, I wonder if that's part of just the puritanical nature of the U.S. is also kind of what prevents it from being, you know, really seen, recognized, talked about. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely i think an easy enough film to come by and uh and i didn't even mean that as a pun and it's definitely a film <laughs> that 
you know, I think you can have fun with it. You know, go into it. Give it a shot if you would like. I wouldn't say it's a, you know, a super recommend for me, but I do appreciate having the conversation about it. And I don't think it's... Yes, and I would... I would recommend having a drink or maybe partaking in some cannabis before watching this yes. film. I think that's a lot more and it'll be a lot more. Yeah, it is definitely that type of type of movie. Um and one that I think looking back on it, you know, if I had seen this in like 2008 at like a midnight film festival screening type situation, I think I would be like Oh, that was such a funny, underloved film, right? That I just got to see. No one knows about it. No one's talking about it. I just thought of that small festival situation. Um, So it definitely has things that I do appreciate and, and definitely moments that are, that are worthwhile, right? Overall, I think it's, it was a fun enough experience. Um, It's just not high art and that's okay. Right. So, Hannah, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram at hcat5, where you'll mostly see photos of cats. That's what we're looking for. And I'm also on Facebook. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for talking about the one-eyed monster with me today. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, we got to... We'll look into this subgenre maybe a bit more. How, oh yeah, I was gonna ask have Have you seen the film Porno? This came out last year. No, um, no, I didn't. But it's going on my list it's, right now. I I enjoy it. Um, I'll put it that way. I enjoy it. There are definitely queer things happening in that movie. Um, maybe, maybe if you get a chance to watch it, we can come back and do a a review of your take on it because I'm very curious now to see what you think of it. Yeah, just wanted to raise your consciousness of it because I'm like, I can't think of that many others that deal with with porn. Um, this one isn't about adult film actors, though. There's, It's about teens in the 90s discovering a porno theater within the cinema that they work at. Yeah, because they were actually still theaters that showed live, yeah. that showed film where you could sit in an audience with other people at that point. My gosh. How the world's changed. Right. You can't even do that with a regular movie. <laughs> That's true. Great. But thank you once again for, you know, talking with me about this movie, chatting it up, looking deep into the eye of the one-eyed monster. And I think coming out the other side relatively unscathed. Yeah, thank goodness. Well, thank you. Keep it creepy. And I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. While I don't think One-Eyed Monster is quite successful in either its comedy or horror, I wanted to offer an alternative film that plays in the same genre pool as our double feature this week, the 2019 horror comedy Deep Murder. Deep Murder is not deeply horror-oriented either, saving its horror moments for some effectively gory kills, but the comedy is more incisive and intriguing. Think more abstract, weirdo, uncomfortable type comedy than groany punchlines and crude puns. 
starring Jerry O'Connell, Katie Azelton, Chris Redd, Stephanie Drake, and Christopher McDonald, Deep Murder walks us through what happens when the characters of a porno film find themselves in a bloody murder mystery. We have the Dangler family, Detective Brock Cross, Jace Jizz, Dr. Bunny Van Clit, and Babysitter. The movie pivots away from us watching the adult performers and crew of a porno film as seen in One-Eyed Monster, and instead takes us into the lives of the personas we see on screen. In doing so, the film is more interested in exploring persona and performance of roles, gender, class, sexuality and sexual orientation, and social status. Deep Murder opens as a 90s-era Cinemax-style film, complete with soft lighting, degraded video, and very awkward dissolves between scenes. Once the first murder happens, the film quickly switches gears to a more traditional style, but we have a clear picture that we're within the softcore world of the characters rather than breaking the fourth wall into the quote-unquote real world. The movie hinges around the tame world of softcore being disrupted by the hardcore world of murder and a not very threatening hurricane, and it plays at times like an ersatz clue with our archetypal characters splitting off into different pairings to exploit all their different existential concerns. What may seem like a standard slasher becomes a playful exercise in media representation and how it can affect our sense of self. Since we're talking about horror comedies, I just wanted to throw out a few other recommendations to help you get to know what types of humor this horror host jives with. Things like Greener Grass, The Heart She Holler, What We Do in the Shadows, both the movie and the TV series, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, and The Editor. We hope you'll add some of these off-kilter gems to your watch list, and let us know what are your favorite horror comedies. As always, keep it creepy! Did you hang up? No, I just said click.